I got a golden ticket. I got a golden ticket. I'm just a hippie chick that went out and figured out how to have fun with kids. All they wanted to do was yoga. They loved it. It's easier than ever to be distracted from what is actually important. Okay, hello and welcome everyone. So happy to be joined today with Harris Lender. A little bit about Harris. She is the creator of Kidding Around Yoga. Uh, she is an integral yoga teacher, the 500-hour level, certified in Raja Yoga, children's yoga, stress management, and prenatal yoga. So we've been talking about doing this for a long time, Harris, and I'm so glad that we're able to. Um, you live here at Yogaville. Uh, for much of the time, you have an amazing home. Uh, you love music. I can't wait to ask you about that. But I wanted to start by asking you this question. How would you describe like your relationship uh, to, between integral yoga and kidding around yoga? What is the relationship between those two things? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you, Avi, for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, always grateful to spread the love and share with people what we do because it's amazing. Um, so thank you very much. Okay. The relationship. Well, kidding around yoga was based on, is based on the teachings of Swami Satchidananda. It's totally based on the integral yoga outline and Almost everything. I, I knew it before, but I've been retired for a little bit and I just packed up and moved in Florida and I started looking at all these things as I was packing it up. And I'm like, oh, this is that script from camp. And this is the, all these things that we did, you know, all these activities that I created and everything came from the teachings from Swami Satchidananda and came from the integral yoga flow. So we have an outline. We call it our golden ticket. You remember that movie? I got a golden ticket. I got a golden ticket. That's our golden Charlie ticket. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Yes. One of the greatest movies of all time. And when you graduate from our training, you know, I see photos and videos of my teachers teaching the next week. And they have like a piece of white paper on the side of their mat. And they have the golden ticket. They have the outline there. And it's identical to an integral yoga class, but it's also different because we meet the children on their level. And when it's time for pranayama or meditation, we're doing something way more fun <laughs> than what you learned in your integral yoga training. But I mean, to me, it's as similar as it could be without it being a boring adult class for a child, because as Gurudev used to say, Swami Satchidananda, I mean, it's not boring to me, but for a kid, you have to meet them on their level. So everything, all the teachings were taken and turned into fun children's activities. Hmm. So meeting the children at their level, like what are some like essential components to a successful children's class that maybe someone who teaches adults wouldn't be aware of, they wouldn't even be considering that you need to keep in mind uh, when you're teaching children. Kids learn through play. Kids need to move. 
They need to be moving all the time. And you can't expect a child to come into a class and teach it like you're in an adult class. And I've seen people attempt this very often, you know, take a deep breath in and turn and look to your right, stretch. And I mean, you know, it's not exciting for them. They need to move. So a lot more movement, a lot more playful. Um, I am a big fan of music. Music is my whole life. Interesting that Swami Sachidananda was the yoga master that opened Woodstock. There's a lot of interesting correlations here. And had I been, you know, maybe eight years older, I probably would have been there, but I have to live vicariously through all of my fellow Sangha members who were there. Um, but music is very important to me. And there's such, there's so much information about the benefits for children, the benefits for us, the vibration, you know, we know that through Kirtan and how healing it is. And so we have a lot of music in my company. That's another, probably another question for another part of the interview, but play music, you know, all of it, lots of movement, lots of movement, especially in this day and age. Sadly, a lot of children don't even have physical education anymore. They don't have PE, which is, I mean, I just don't understand that. That was such a big part of growing up for me, I'm sure for you too, but a lot of kids don't have it now and they really need to move. So our classes are very physical and uh, sometimes like the, uh, the principal or another teacher, somebody will, you know, poke their heads in and we're running around and we're doing something crazy and we're dancing and we've got music and they're like, this is yoga. And I always say to them, you have to watch from the beginning of class to the end. Anybody that understands integral yoga or just classical Hatha yoga, if they watched from the beginning to the end, they would see we open with a chant, we close with a chant, we do yoga nidra, we call it the peaceful garden. We have cardiovascular in the middle. We play some games. But someone who truly understands what it means to be in a nice yoga class, a classical, classical Hatha yoga class, they would look at that and go, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I get it. Hmm. Do you feel like you have like a pulse on the current state of yoga and children being in this world for a bunch of years now? Like you see yoga becoming more popular in the world. What about just yoga with children? Um, there's kidding around yoga, but I'm sure that there's a lot of other stuff out there uh, as well. Are you inspired right now by like children being introduced to yoga at a very early age and that becoming a more common thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I'm very inspired and I like to think that we had a lot to do with it because we weren't there at the very, very, very beginning. But um, when we were really getting, you know, taking off with Kidding Around Yoga, there were quite a few other companies that were just starting to come out. And over the last 15 years, there's been quite a few companies out there. So, yes, it's inspiring because my I mean, if you asked me what the one thing, if I had one wish in this world, aside from peace on earth, we all know that that's what we want more than anything. It would be and a way to have peace on earth that every child in the universe would have an opportunity to learn the science of yoga, 
to be able to participate even in one class. I know I've taught I taught children in Nepal when I was out hiking, Syrian refugees in Germany. We get to teach them how to meditate, how to breathe. They can go home and use those tools. So yes, I'm very inspired and I am excited to be a part of that. Um, you know, we have... 11-ish thousand teachers all over the world. So it's the ripple effect is huge. Did I answer that properly? (laughs) (laughs) I don't see why not. Okay. Yeah. It's amazing to consider, you know, because I think so many of us have been introduced uh, to yoga as adults, right? And and I think about it, it's like a lot of, uh, a lot of the teachings and a lot of the practices, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm undoing much of my, my childhood, the impressions and the conditioning that, that I've been, been through. So I wonder like, what if we got it right more from the start? And I think maybe that this is what, what it's all about. Like you said, like giving children these tools, like what is their potential for what their, their, their lives can be? Is there anything that that comes to mind to you, like in terms of of examples that you've witnessed uh, in regard to the effect that yoga has had on some of the children? Well, first, I just want to say that, uh, you know, I I don't know how many trainings I've taught, but probably a couple hundred. Me personally, we have many, many trainers in my company, but at every single training, and I'm not exaggerating every single training, we pass the talking stick around, people cry. Somebody always says, I wish my parents had made this available to me. No offense to the parents, it just wasn't available unless their parents were already practicing yoga, but most parents weren't. But everybody in my generation and even a little younger, your generation, we're not that far apart you know, they wish that their parents had introduced it to them. So um, that is a big thing. But um, I just blanked on your question. Well, like examples oh. of, of, oh, yeah, of what you've it. seen in children, yep, maybe yep. they've, they've talked to you about could be in their, their yep. personal relations or in their, in their studies, maybe the effect that it has there. Yeah. So, I mean, I could write a book. I have so many stories. I will probably just jump to like the greatest one and that we're working with the state of West Virginia and we've been working with them for five years. And we have to date, they get a bunch of grant money because West Virginia has the lowest school scores, testing scores. They have the highest rate of obesity. They have the worst problem with the opioid crisis. They've got a lot of issues in West Virginia. And they brought us in about five years ago. And we started training through the university um, with this grant money, a lot of school teachers. And we have to date trained 10% of all of the school teachers, elementary school teachers in West Virginia, which is huge. Now, when we first were approached by them, they asked us if we had data, like, how can you prove that this is working and what can you tell us about? And, you know, I'm just a hippie chick that went out and figured out how to have fun with kids after learning all this, you know, all these great tools. I never 
did any scientific studies, didn't look at the data. And I didn't feel like I needed to because I knew it worked. I saw it. I saw it all the time. And so they said, don't worry, we'll do it. So they've been doing it for five years and they actually now have like all kinds of data, like hardcore information. We've known for years, the kids leave the classroom, they go down the hallway, they spend a half hour meditating and doing yoga. They come back, they take a test, boom, the kids are right there. And the teachers are like, wow. You know, sometimes the classroom teacher isn't the one that got certified, but there's someone else down the hallway that took our training. So there's plenty of teachers that took the training. And so they have these mini half hour classes and it's working. It's working. And I mean, that's exciting for me because we're having a huge effect in the entire state and the state is really struggling right now. But I've seen it everywhere. I mean, we teach at a camp in L.A. called Camp Harmony. It is a camp for underserved children and there's tons of money that's being pumped into this camp. And in the summer, they bust these kids in from all over LA. Some of these kids have never slept in a bed by themselves and they do at camp. They've never been to the beach and they live in LA and they go to the beach at camp. And I went for years, it was grueling. You teach like eight classes a day, every 45 minutes. Now my other teachers do it. And I saw what happened to these children. I saw the boys in the boys' cabin begging us to do uh, the peaceful garden with them, yoga nidra. I saw them sitting there meditating. And I know the stories about these children. Some of them were homeless. Some of them just came from bad backgrounds. Some of them had or insecure backgrounds. Some of them were foster kids. Um, It was an amazing experience to be there. Anyways, the kids were there for a week and they had hip hop and they had tambourine throwing and hula hooping and all the kids. And these were tough inner city kids. All they wanted to do was yoga. They loved it. Now the company that used to come there before us taught adult yoga to kids, not the same. It didn't fly so well. And actually I met the guy here at Camp Yogaville. Uh, He came to camp and he saw what I was doing. I used to run Camp Yogaville here for 11 years. And he came to camp and he said, my family owns or runs this camp for underserved children. Please, we need you, can you come out? And so that's how that happened. I could talk for hours about those kinds of things. So yes, I have seen it. I know it works. One of these days I'll probably write a book. Why do you think that they love it so much? Like those boys that you're talking about and they wanted to go to the peaceful garden, yoga nidra, like why, why are they so drawn to it? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is why are you so drawn to it? Why am I so drawn to it? (laughs) They're no different from us. And it's amazing how everybody is like, Oh, and kids love it too. Well, Why shouldn't they love it? Because if we need it because we're stressed out, we need it because we're busy. We need it because we never get to, and this is the biggie. I think this is the biggie. We don't know what it feels like to be quiet, Hmm. to really be quiet. These kids are inundated all day with the, you know, what's happening at home. There's a lot of chaos getting out the door. 
Then they're in school all day. It's very noisy. You know, when I teach in schools or when I used to, you go in, you teach your class, the kids jump on you. The yoga ladies here, the yoga, you know, they love you so much. And I look at the school teachers and I think, wow, God bless them. This is a lot of energy all day long. I come in, I make my magic and I leave. But I witnessed so many amazing things and so many transformations. I've taught in quite a few inner city schools, um, Title I schools, and just the very simple thing that we created. A lot of people use it now, but we did create it in Kidding Around Yoga. When we meditate with children, we have them say, peace begins with me. I don't know if you know the Kundalini, Sata, Na, Ma, and I'm not going to get into all the physiologics of, you know, physiology of why that works, because I don't really understand it 100%, but I do know these pressure points do something to calm your nervous, nervous system. And so we changed it to peace begins with me. Well, when the kids sit down and do that at the end of class and you watch them, they transform. They can come to one class go home and share that. And we tell them, share it with your parents so you can do this at home. Share it with your brothers and sisters so you can do it at home. And it transforms them. My goal, we, you know how we say in the adult yoga world, take it off of your mat and into the world. You don't just have to show up at yoga class and practice on your mat. You should learn how to do this on your own at home. That is our goal for the children that we teach and we want them to share it with their parents as well. So we do see the impact immediately when they sit up from the peaceful garden yoga nidra. You know, Swami Satchidananda used to say, I, I remember once asking him, I'm an athlete. I want to do more than three salutations to the sun. You know, if I do it this way, is it still integral yoga? And he said, after my graduation or right before graduation, he said, as long as they're floating out the door, oh, there he is. As long as they're floating out the door, it's integral yoga. Mm -hmm. He might not have said that 30 years ago or before, but I think he became a little bit more open-minded and flexible towards the end. And I say that to my trainers, the people that train with me all the time, follow the outline, the outline works, but you know, if you mess it up a little bit, it's okay. Your goal is to get them to float out the door. And how do I know it works? I see it. And the parents, I mean, I have so many emails from parents, phone calls, texts, everything. Of course, I started this before texting. Sorry to age myself, but I did. And they would be like, you know, what, what did you do? What did you do to Johnny? You know, what did you do to Sarah? You know, he or she is so peaceful and so calm because that was our goal to just watch them float out the door. There's something about that, that I, that I love so much. And Swami Satchidananda, I think, you know, has been really important for me in, in doing this. And that is to folk, what is really important, you know, like his, his emphasizing that, that that as long as they float out the door, it's integral yoga. Like that's so beautiful. And I can't even really think of anyone else saying something like that, but like right there, like, you know, you just get it, you, mm -hmm. you, you get it. Like, and 
it feels like in today's world with so much stimulation, you know, it's easier than ever to be distracted from what is actually important, you know, like what is important in my life, you know, to, to, to ask the question, you know, how do I want to spend my time? You know, like I, I often actually lead, um, lead these episodes by asking, you know, what matters to you? You know, just, just to get like right, right to it. Like what matters to you? And, and that's, that's what I hear with this. Like what matters like peace. And, um, and I think even with all of the, uh, the asana, uh, the postures, none of that probably is as important as just what you shared that peace begins with me like that right there to any person, to a child is, is brilliant. Maybe they've never heard something like that. That's so, so simple and, and, and a challenge in a wonderful way. Like, you know, like, Oh, I can keep looking at what everyone else is doing, or I can realize that it begins with me right now. And like, that gives me direction. I'm going to start it. I'm going to be more peaceful. I'm going to be the change. And you're going to go home tonight and do that with your daughter. (laughs) Always just trying to spread the love a little bit, you know, because she's the right age. Yeah. I mean, well, what's more important is that I actually just do that myself. Right. And that I, I believe that the peace begins with me and, and, and believe that by doing that, it's going to have an effect on her and, and all the people that, that I'm around. Um, I want to ask you about, you know, having fun. Uh, Cause you know, you've spent all this time with children and I get the sense that like having fun is, is very important to you. Do you have like that, like yearning to like spend your days having fun and, <laughs> And also, do you sometimes like, do you have any like frustration that like, oh man, like I'm not having enough fun in my life. And that's my desire. I rarely have the frustration that I'm not having enough fun in my life, but I often think I need to balance it out a little bit more. I do have a lot of fun. I do a lot of fun things. Usually it's revolved around music. That's fun to me. But sometimes there's a lot of music and I need more rest or sometimes there's no music because I'm working too hard. And, you know, I I am still learning how to balance it out. Yogaville has helped me a lot because I don't have access to, you know, I'm in the woods. I live in a yurt here, which I love. I love. I might not have loved it 20 years ago, but it was the right time for me. Um, but yeah, I do look at my father always used to say that the name of your business should say what you do. So I was really racking my brain for the right name of my business. And when my husband, Evan came up with kidding around yoga and we were dreaming, we didn't know if we were going to be around the world, which we are, we knew we'd be in Costa Rica maybe, but we had no idea we'd be all over the world. And we put the globe here is my logo. Well, yep. Here's my logo. So we put the globe in the middle. Um, I feel like we hit the nail on the head, you know, we do. And I know I've heard people say, well, she doesn't teach real yoga. And that's like, for me, that's like, (sighs) because Mm. if you actually saw the class from the beginning to the end, there's no denying it. It's real yoga for children. They learn everything. Maybe not in the first week. They might need to come 
weekly to understand that big word pranayama meditation you know because we start them young really young and they do learn all of that and we don't have them we do teach up to 18 years old but um you know it takes a little while to get all of that to sink in and for them to feel confident that they can sit in their bedroom do some salutations to the sun do their peace begins with me know how to do, you know, for younger children, we do alternate nostril breathing. Like, I mean, we have all kinds of ways to do it, bunny breaths, but eventually they learn. And that is our goal. And we speak with the parents. We want them to do it at home. They need these tools and um, it's, it is working. They know how to self soothe. They know before a test to sit for 30 seconds or a minute and just close their eyes and think and breathe, you know? And we have many, 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 many techniques. I mean, the manual- Or not think. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. The manual is pretty extensive. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I do love to kid around. The kids we teach love to kid around. All of my trainers, I can tell the minute I meet them. If I'm doing a training in Portugal or Hong Kong, I can tell in an hour or less. I'm like, ooh, do you have your 200 hours? <laughs> You'd be a great trainer. I can just tell because, you know, they need to, you know, I'm type A, I'm Aries. You know, when I get into that room and I start training people, I'm like off the wall. Like you, you even said to me once, wow, you need to meditate, Harris. <laughs> I mean, I'm up against a lot. I try, I try, but you know, some people are just born with all this energy. And you're right. It would be good for me to meditate more, but I don't regret it at all because all this energy that I have is what I needed to be able to do what I did for kidding around yoga. It was a lot of work for a long time. Your child self, like reflecting back on how you were as a kid, do you think this is the type of thing that your child self would have wanted for your adult self? Totally. I, you know, I, my childhood, you know, I had a pretty good childhood, but I came to yoga when we experienced some crisis in my family, as most people do. Um, but no, I had a really great childhood. I live, I mean, we all had issues, but I lived in a fabulous neighborhood. We had forts in everybody's backyard and we all stayed out playing outside until our parents yelled for us or we heard the bell ring. And I'm still friends with all the people that I grew up with. And we all had bicycles and we were just out, outside, outside, outside. I mean, that's the way I feel like it should be that it isn't that way these days for too many kids. You're lucky. It probably will be for yours. Um, but now we're, you know, so busy with, well, we have to get to gymnastics. We have to get to soccer and we have to get here and we have to get there. But yeah, I would say that my, my child, my inner child would definitely have craved having something like this and it would have been good for me. It's good for everybody. Um, but I'm not complaining. I was very lucky to grow up when I did. You grew up in New York? I grew up in Connecticut. Connecticut. Yep. The home of the first frozen bagel, the home of the first 
burger, hamburger, and the home of the first pizza in the United States. So food, food, food. That's a lot of stuff. And the frozen bagel <laughs> is your dad, right? That was my dad, yes. I grew up eating Lender's bagel. I remember when I met you and I realized the connection. Yay. I was like, wow. Thank you. You probably put me yeah. through college. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people wouldn't even think of eating them, but even my dad said, you know, only if you can't get a fresh bagel. And what he did was he introduced bagels to people that never, ever would have known what they were. We're talking about the mid sixties, the seventies. So he had our bagels in grocery stores all over the country in middle America. As you can imagine, if you wanted a fresh bagel, you needed to live in New York, Chicago, Miami, LA. But what about all those people in the middle? Where are they going to get bagels? So he did that. Solved the problem. He was here at the ashram. That was very, very cool. He met Swami Satchidananda and Rabbi Gelberman. So Rabbi Gelberman used, was one of Swami Satchidananda's best friends. They were like twin sons of different mothers. They couldn't have been come from, you know, backgrounds that were any more different. But, you know, when you live in that world and you're a guru and, you know, he was the um, Rabbi Gelberman was one of the first or if not the first Kabbalah teachers in the United States, they kind of become great, great friends. And they used to have this workshop called the Swami and the Rabbi. Well, I think it was 2001, and I wanted my father to meet Swami Satchidananda. My father thought it was a little weird what I was doing. And when I heard that Rabbi Gelberman was coming, I was like, this is it. There's going to be Jewish people all over the ashram. It's not going to look that weird. I'm going to do it on this weekend. And it was a little challenging because my dad had just had a stroke about 11 months earlier, and he didn't get his speech back. So he had some struggles, but he agreed to come. And so there we were during satsang and Rabbi Gelberman was up on the stage and, you know, they're doing the Swami and the, and the rabbi lecture and Prem Anjali introduced them and my father. And that was good because Prem grew up on Lenders Bagels. So, so she introduced my dad. And then at the end, you know, it took my dad a half hour to put his shoes on to get out of there. They started dancing and uh, Swami Satchidananda said, where's the bobble man, the bobble man. <laughs> and my dad, we were, had already almost left. So we came back in and we danced the Hora. But we also met with Swami Satchidananda in his office before he came out to speak at Satsang. And I tried to explain to my father, you know, people bow down, they kiss his feet. I said, but my dad, you know, he didn't, couldn't speak anymore. He had 10 words. And I said, you know, if you could just like pranam, but he understood what I was saying. Well, we met the Swami and the rabbi in the private office and it was the best day of my life. After that, I really felt like, okay, take me now. I'm good. This is the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And after that, my dad really loved Swami Satchidananda like he would walk by a photo. I had them all over my house of Swami Satchidananda and he would just go like, you know, and he would kiss him with his hands. And I'm so glad that I got to introduce the two of them and Rabbi Gelberman. And then are you sitting down? Wait for this. My husband, Evan, is way more religious than I am. We're both Jewish. 
And we got married in Connecticut and Norwalk, halfway between his family in New York and my family in New Haven. And we're like, we need a rabbi. Who are we going to get? And Evan's so nice. He'll do anything for me. And I said, can I get Rabbi Gelberman? And he was already like, you know, 85 years old. So we sent a limo. Rabbi, Rabbi Gelberman came in. We used Swami Satchidananda's prayer shawl, which someone had given to me on the table to put the wine glass on. I said, we're going to have white. Don't even think about red. <laughs> and we got married by Rabbi Gelberman. Mm. It was cool. Mm. It's, it's funny what you say about like those like high complete moments in life where it's like, this, this is it. <laughs> And then maybe life continues after that. <laughs> it's like, now what do I do? Like, I just had such a profound, amazing that experience was, of life. And now there's more. What do I do with the more? That was, an, it was, I can't even put it into words. It was amazing. Hmm. Oh, I had a funny feeling my dogs were going to run in right in the middle of this interview. And I hope that they'll be fine. This is Murphy's Law. We're good. <laughs> good. We're good. Okay. Okay. So now I think I'd love to talk to you about music and okay, just your connection to music. If you have some memories of, you know, listening to something and it affecting you and just why, why is music so such a big part of your life? This is why I wanted you to give me some clues about what you were going to ask me. Cause I could have prepared some, a doozy for this one, but let's see no preparation. Um, well, for starters, my father, who was, as you can tell, a huge influence over my life. And uh, he was just such a mensch. And he was really into his music, really into, you know, Latin salsa. And, you know, he had bongos that he used to play. I'm sure he wasn't very good. But what did I know? After he lost his speech, we hired a Haitian drummer dreads down to his tuchus. The guy would come in and drum with my dad. And my dad actually performed in a bar in Miami because, you know, the connection, the very huge healing connection when you're chanting and when you're drumming to let him open his mouth and just let out whatever came out. So, um, so he was really into music. He took me to see uh, Dizzy Gillespie and uh, Celia Cruz at the Blue Note in New York. He took me to see Frank Sinatra. And I'm like, Oh, dad, I don't want to go see Frank Sinatra. <laughs> but he took me like when I take my kids to see Carol King and James Taylor and Stevie wonder. Although I have to say my kids are super cool and they totally appreciate it. But, um, so he was a big influence. Then my brother was a rock and roll photographer at the age of 16, my brother was a photographer for the classic rock and roll station in my hometown. And he got seventh row tickets to every concert. I think the, that the reason that was powerful is because in the seventh row, you have a good view. You're not like, you know, right underneath their toes. And so I always got to get a ticket and go to those shows. And we're talking like Queen, Peter Frampton, Renaissance was my favorite band. You probably don't know who they are, but maybe somebody listening knows who they are, like very prog rocky. Um, Frank Zappa, all these great bands. My brother photographed all these bands and then he took great pictures and you can go to his Flickr, Carl Lender on Flickr. 
They used one of his pictures to promote the new Grateful Dead movie because he doesn't charge. The AP actually pulled it out. And um, so he's got a ton of great photos. So I was always very influenced by him. We would sit around in his room and listen to music. We were the first kids on the street with headphones, like big deal, you know, the big headphones, but we thought we were really cool. So music was always a big thing. And I always went to lots and I still do. I'm going to turn 60 in like 20 minutes here. I still live my entire life revolved around who's coming next. You know, um, I just drove to DC to see one of my favorite bands. Like I love to go to see live music. And um, so also I was a big fan as a child of Carol King. Little did I know that I was in Connecticut right down the road from where she was at the integral yoga. It wasn't an Institute. I don't know what it was in Pomfret, Connecticut. And she was there. It was an ashram. Okay. So she was there, but what did I know? I was a kid. And I mean, I'm a huge Carol King fan. I've seen her many, many, many times. I brought my kids quite a few times and I just love her. I didn't know she's a devotee. Um, didn't know that she wrote uh, You've Got a Friend for Swami Sachidananda. Once I heard about all this, like it all started coming together and I'm like, woohoo, this is so exciting. So when I started kidding around yoga, it was just a natural thing. I wrote my first song. I think it was Head Shoulders Yoga Pose, stole a tune and just started filling it in. Oh, yeah, because I was doing it in class. I just couldn't help singing in class, you know, like head, shoulders, do the tree, yoga pose. It just happened. I didn't mean for it to happen. It just happened. And finally, I I got very, very lucky. One of my good friends, um, Marianne Harmon, who's also a, who's a very well-known children's music musician, told me about <clears throat> this guy, Mark Dye. And I'm telling you, he's a genius. And he, I went into the studio with him. I thought, okay, let's make a song. One song. I'm singing this song to the kids anyways. Let's make a song. And then we made a song and then another one came out. It just five years. It never stopped. I couldn't, you know, when you get into that creative flow, your juices are going, whatever it is, it's like, it's coming to you from somewhere else. I couldn't have slowed it down. I tried. And we started recording music and we're like, wow, I think we have an entire CD. Now, we didn't make any money in Kidding Around Yoga back then. We were just doing it because we loved it. And everybody was like, don't make another CD. You're not making any money. My kids were young. You're not making any money. Why are you making another CD? And I just couldn't stop. I loved it so much. Evan and I would go to festivals and we'd hear a song. We like, oh, let's do that. And, you know, the concert would be going on and we'd be laying in a hammock writing a song. You know, we went on music cruises. We'd be in our room writing a song. It was insane for five years. And I'm so glad I didn't listen to anybody. I did listen to one person, Swami Vijananda. I'm sure you're going to hear this at one point. You know how much I love you. I love you. She, not that she's ever owned a business. Maybe she has, I don't think so. But she became a spiritual business advisor to me. And she said to me, when we started making the music, you can't go wrong if you keep making this music. And I, I know she was right. 
And we ended up making six CDs. We did it for five years. And, you know, we have just, we're struggling right now. I'm not embarrassed to say that because who isn't? We didn't have any live trainings for two years and that's what we do. But we have all this music and it's never going away. So I guess in answer to your question, I think it was the best thing I could have ever done. It sets us apart from every kids yoga training company. We are the musical yogis. I do believe that music heals. I've studied Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead, who's really into the vibrations and going to different parts of the world and, you know, the drumming aspects and the healing and studied with this guy a little bit, you know, listened to this guy who worked with my dad when my dad lost his speech. And I saw what it did to my dad. And I just find music, I think it's one of the most important things. It's been in every culture in the world since the beginning of time. So that's my mission is to teach peace through music, so to speak. I always say music is our medicine. What's your take on kind of like the multitasking that goes on with music a lot where, you know, music is on, but I'm doing something else, you know, while I'm listening to music, probably that's the majority of people when they're listening to music, you know, they're not only listening to music. I'm listening to the music and doing work or having a meal or what, whatever it is. Um, have you played with that yourself at all? Like, like, can I f focus only on the music and what effect does that have on me versus having it more as, you know, background noise or whatever it is? Funny that you should say that. This is something I think about a lot. I personally cannot work or do anything with any music on. Maybe instrumental background like Airy Fairy quietly, but not really that much. If I have regular music on, you know, I'm a, I love the Grateful Dead. I listen to the Grateful Dead like a lot and other jam bands like that. There is no way I could be doing any work with that on in the background. Then there's my husband, the really big deadhead. He doesn't like it when I tell people how many shows he's been to, but there's quite a few digits in that number. And he would be sitting there paying the bills, writing checks, Zooming with people. And, you know, you'd hear the Grateful Dead in the background loud. And I'm like, how do you do that? I just don't get it. I have a daughter that has ADHD, ADD. I don't like labels, but just to give you an idea, it's hard for her to focus. She has focus issues. And when she was in therapy in high school, and I kept saying to her, she'd be doing her homework and she'd have a TV show on in the background or music blaring. And I would always say to her, turn it off, constantly coming into her room saying, focus, be mindful, turn it off. And then finally, her therapist said to me, no, this is how she learns. I still, I can't wrap my head around that at all, but the bottom line is our brains all work differently. We all have a different way that we get from point A to point B. I have to sit down and study something and take notes over and over and over, do them on note cards and then put them into my computer and then read them out loud. 
in the mirror and, you know, I'm laying in bed with my Google Doc. I I need to read things like 20 times before it sinks in. Everybody's different. And my daughter's like that too, but she does it with music on. I don't get it. Um, I don't even know what to say other than that. I think the brain is a complicated, it's just a complicated system and we're all different. So certainly in a kidding around yoga class, it's a little bit different because we're listening to music and the music is telling you what to do. We're jogging through the jungle, we're the lion, you know, we're the tree, but you have to listen to the music, but that's what they're focused on. Got it. That makes sense to me. Do you happen to have your uh, ukulele nearby? How do you feel about uh, maybe playing us out with something? Or no, you don't have it. to bring it down. I mean. No worries. (laughs) I know you love to play. You can't just pause for like a minute. You can't do that. Yeah, we can. No, we can do that. I mean, one minute. Yeah, go ahead. No, go grab it. So you can edit. Yeah. I'll be right back. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Here's the question. Should we actually edit it right now or just let me ramble on about who knows what during this podcast? Hmm. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, all good. So... You want to hear a, a little bit about how this all came to be? It's kind of interesting. Yeah, go for it. Actually. Yeah. So I love Kirtan. I love to chant. I've had my harmonium for 20 years, but haven't figured out how to use it. I was one of the first Kirtanists in Tampa Bay right after I took my training here. So nobody was chanting in Tampa Bay, but I would do it. And I didn't have any musicians. I just chanted the integral yoga chants. Call and response. That was it. For some reason, everybody loved it because it's like a system. It's the same every time. You know, they kind of got it. Of course, now there's so many people. But I never really learned an instrument. And I'm still, I have a harmonium and I'm going to figure it out. But all of a sudden, all the cool chicks are learning how to play the ukulele, right? So I'm like, I think I can do that. So I'm not good. I'm not great, but I just started, you know, picking it up. But the cool part of it was that I started a club in Kidding Around Yoga where I invited teachers and I told them, this is a nice one actually, but my first one was 60 bucks just to see if I was going to like it. I said, look, go spend 60 bucks, see if you like it. And we would all meet on Zoom. And a lot of mothers came with their kids. So I was so, it was so heartwarming because they were learning how to play the instrument with their child. And aside from that, some of them were school teachers or kids yoga, they're all kids yoga teachers. And they would learn how to play it. You know, at the end of class, we end with a chant. We used to teach to a lot of uh, yoga teachers. Now we teach to a lot of school teachers, but I wanted the school teachers to be cool. I wanted the kids to be like, oh my God, Mrs. McGillicuddy is the best. She plays the ukulele at the end of class. So every Sanskrit chant that I found, because I prefer Sanskrit, I looked it up. I don't really understand a hundred percent what they all mean. I found the meaning and then I kind of tweaked it 
and looked for something that was comparable in English. So if you're a public school teacher and I teach you this chant, first we chant in Sanskrit, then we chant in English. You don't ever have to use the Sanskrit. Make sense? So I yeah. have a whole a bunch of them. And I just encourage my teachers to to end their class like this so that the kids get excited and maybe the kids will want to learn how to play, you know? You can literally like play four chords and so Harris, before before you go, I'll, I'll just say maybe we'll we'll end this episode with this as well. So I just want I just want to thank you so much for taking this time. It's uh it's great to hear about everything that you're you're doing. And I love being in the community with you, especially the fact that you are putting together a beautiful concert venue uh, on your property right now. And I, I come over there. It's just one of my favorite places to be. The land is beautiful. Yeah. It has amazing view of the James River and lots of hammocks and wonderful seating. And and you, every time I come over, you're doing something else and adding to it. So so much fun. Thank you for, for being you, for taking this time. And uh, yeah, whenever you're ready, we'd love to hear Thank some music. Yeah. I do feel like I've been training for this my whole life. Like if I'm going to be retired, this is the thing that I should be doing, right? Yeah. Rade, Rade, Govinda, Govinda. simple fun for the kids thank you avi thank you harris om shanti thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well please feel free to share and subscribe